Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Dalton. This week's podcast is brought to you by you. Yes, you, the listener, can support the Gravel Ride Podcast via buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. My goal this year is to get up to a sustainable level of monthly supporters so that all the overhead costs of producing the Gravel Ride podcast can be covered, and I don't really have to worry about coming out of pocket for this experience. If you're enjoying what I do, please do visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. I'm very excited to welcome this week's guest, Matt Cady, to the podcast. Matt is a bikepacking and gravel route developer as well as the organizer of the BT700 bikepacking event in Ontario, Canada this year. Matt and I got connected at just the perfect time as I continue to be excited by the idea of taking my gravel bike on bikepacking adventures and specifically creating that San Francisco to LA bikepacking route that we've referenced a couple times on the podcast. Matt has been an invaluable resource for me to try to figure out tools like ride with GPS, and how to collaborate with people in route development, and some of the nuances of things you should think about. Matt has done some amazing bikepacking himself in Costa Rica and Colombia, and his routes have been featured on bikepacking.com, which is a pretty huge kudo in the bikepacking world. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Matt and pull a lot out of it, as I know I did. With all that said, Let's dive right into my conversation with Matt. Matt, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I've uh, been a big fan for a number of months now that I've been listening, so it's, it's great to be on. Yeah, I was really excited to get connected with you. I think as the pandemic tends to continue to groan on as we look towards solutions, a lot of gravel cyclists in the absence of events are turning their eyes to creating their own routes and adventures looking at bikepacking races and bikepacking in general. So it'd be great to kind of start off with a little bit of your experience as a cyclist. And then we can talk about the BT700 event that you're putting on in Ontario this summer. And then I'm going to pick your brain and ask for some help about how I can develop some routes. Happy to help. Right on. So how did you get started in in cycling and what led you to bikepacking? Well, it kind of started, I was back in the 90s, I'll age myself a little bit, but uh, I did a a summer of uh, tour guiding on the east coast of Canada, and that went okay, but I realized I was a crappy uh, tour guide, but I really love just being on the open road and cycling every day. Uh, So then I kind of looked into traveling by bicycle, and you know, my first trip I found myself spending three months cycle touring around New Zealand, and loved it and was hooked on that type of travel and just the freedom that it offers. And ever since then, I've been doing maybe a trip or two every year. And back then it was just called, you know, old fashioned cycle touring with the paper map. But I think as um, things have evolved with, you know, increased routing possibilities and the GPS and the fact that I was getting more and more and more less thrilled with spending more and more time on the pavement, uh, just started kind of looking into doing more kind of off-road touring, um, which kind of led more. And then that was just, you know, when bikepacking was really, really growing and blossoming with all the routes and the increased knowledge about where to go and and the increase of um, the type of equipment that you can take. So um, back then I was, <laughs> times I used to tour with, you know, the front 
I don't know if you ever did, but the front two panniers and the front two rear panniers. Yep. And I look at those pictures now and I'm like, oh my God, it looks so heavy. And if there's a headwind, you just want to kill yourself after about, you know, 10 miles with a setup like that. Um, so yeah, it's just been a kind of progression that way. And then I imagine, you know, you started off-road riding with a mountain bike, presumably, and then as you saw drop bike bars kind of evolve and the gravel bike start to materialize in the world, were you immediately attracted to that or were you kind of, hey, I think my mountain bike is actually doing the trick? Yeah, without question, because I have like a mountain bike background. So when I wasn't touring, I was always mountain biking. I was never really road riding, but I never really thought of touring as an extension of mountain biking. It wasn't really maybe until the the, um, the Great Divide route kind of came online that people were like, wow, you can actually tour a long way without spending much time on pavement. So I was just like, wow, you know, I, I actually prefer mountain biking. And now there's all these resources to do off-road touring. So why not just retire from traditional cycle touring and then take up um, what we, you could call bike packing or touring off-road? So it really was uh, like a natural progression. Yeah, interesting. And I have a, I mean, my partner, my girlfriend, who I tour with all the time, and we've been doing it for, you know, 13, I think 13, 14 years. Um, she's the same, you know, with more of a uh, kind of a mountain bike background. And so it's really good that we can be both uh, support each other. And now that we like rooting and looking at maps and finding different places to uh to travel to um it just seems like there's like no end in sight on this type of touring yeah a tremendous amount of possibilities i definitely want to get to your experiences in colombia and costa rica that have been highlighted in bikepacking.com and i think bicycling magazine you you um bring a lot of great photography with it as well so i really felt like i got immersed in those experiences but as a starting point can you talk about the BT-700 in Ontario this summer? Yeah, for sure. So we created a route up here in Ontario. And for years, there was just a, like a dearth of, there just wasn't enough, you know, set touring routes in Ontario um, for off-road. But we have a ton of gravel and unmaintained roads and kind of rail trail and ATV tracks that are just like kind of endless. So it's kind of a natural fit for it. Uh, so yeah, the BT 700 is, um, just like that. It's now, it used to be 700 kilometers, uh, speaking in Canadian up here, but it's, it's got a little longer. So I think it's about 470 miles now. And it just runs through kind of Southwestern Ontario, uh, through a variety of terrain. I'd say it's probably about 85% off pavement. And yeah, every year, once a year, I run a, what's kind of now being known as a grand departs where, um, we all kind of depart at the same time. And I think this year I'm running it on the summer solstice. So uh, June, uh, I have to check the date. I think that's June 21st on a Sunday there to try to maximize. Because up here when it's summer solstice, you get light until like after 10 o'clock. So people are, can ride a lot, pretty long way without uh, needing to turn on the light. And just to set the stage, what what would a distance like that, given the terrain that it's covering, how long, what's the sort of range of number of days that's going to take for someone to complete? Uh, it's, it, people have done it like crazy, like two and a half days to uh, probably seven days is kind of like the top kind of more of the really, really casual touring pace. Yep. But uh, we don't have, I mean, 
I'm not going to lie, up here in Ontario, we don't have like the Rockies or the huge climbs, but there's a ton of what you would call that punchy stuff that really adds up. So, you know, you do this like one 20% grade, then you go down and then a couple minutes later, you're on another loose, rocky kind of, kind of really steep grade. And I think after a while, you know, that can kind of slow things down and tire out riders. So I think a lot of riders get kind of caught off guard by that and surprised like wow that was that was a lot more challenging than i had thought yeah i imagine for a lot of us who obviously don't ride with bags laden with all our gear on it on our bikes you know you think about rolling hills and how they feel but once you load up the bike it feels a lot different obviously there's a lot more weight that your body is pushing up those hills so it feels different and i can attest that these punchy climbs are every bit as difficult as you know an hour-long grind yeah, because you don't get in, you don't get in that um, that rhythm or the groove. There is no groove when things are twenty percent and it just goes straight up for like you know half a mile or a mile or something like that. Whereas I know, like when I've been touring, when you get on those like long passes, that kind of zigzag, you got the nice uh, you know meandering kind of road there. Then you can just get in a groove and you're enjoying yourself and you're just you know pedaling at the same cadence. Whereas like something like this is just a pure kind of grunt fest to try to get up. Right. Now, I've never personally participated in an event like this. You know, I imagine as some of the listeners and myself, you know, we're used to going to a gravel event start line and the gun goes off and people take off. What is a, you know, a multi-day event like this? What does that experience look like at the start line? How are the athletes setting off? Is there a gun? Does everybody set off at the same time? Can you just kind of walk through the listener who may be uninitiated to this type of event, what it feels like on the start line? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I started this in like the first year I did this was in 2019 and I put out this grand depart. I didn't know what to expect. And I was surprised, you know, I got, you know, 70, so 70 riders who showed up, which is like huge for an initial year. Because yeah. I think I heard like the, the grand depart for like the, the Tour de Divide, the Continental Divide route, had like just a handful of people yep. <laughs> the first year. Yep. So that kind of determined that there was huge appetite up in like Eastern Canada for something like this. But I couldn't believe you until you've done one, you can't imagine just like how awesome the atmosphere is. Like everyone's in like high spirits. People are um, checking out each other. And one of the biggest things is check out what other uh, everyone else is riding. So you get to compare everyone's rigs and their bags because everyone likes to geek out on that. Yep. And then, yeah, I think it's, I mean, there's no gun. It just, you get everyone together and people kind of leave at their own paces. Somebody, some people just got it right from the start, which is for me kind of pretty intense where some people just, you know, are sipping their coffee and, you know, lagging behind for a while. And, and then I have to say one thing that people, which blew my mind is what's so great about these is the new friendships that form from it. Yeah. Because you meet all these like-minded riders and next thing you know, there's like these groups forming and people who are not only, they finish this route and next thing you know, they're like planning trips to get together. And um, like, for example, I know, it wasn't on the Grand Depart, but it was at a different time where there was a, one rider from Ontario that rode the route. And then he ended up riding with a bunch of people who came up from Michigan. And next thing you know, like they were, you know, forming friendships. And he said, well, one of them has a cottage down in Florida. So I think he said he was going down to Florida one winter to ride, like ride with them, <laughs> you know, to escape the Canadian winter. So 
I think it almost want from that. I almost want to go ahead and do some other grand departs and some other places, just because I've seen now the incredible benefit of doing an organized event like that. Because, and I shouldn't mention the other one is getting motivation to finish it. Because I've had a lot of riders tell me if they just went out there on their own, because the route's harder, maybe harder than they think, they probably wouldn't have finished. Yeah. But having a bunch of riders out there at one time is kind of motivating. You see, you know, other, you know, you know, some other people are struggling as well. Yeah, absolutely. I imagine, you know, the parallel I can draw is I've done nine day long off-road stage races and you just discovered after a few days that you were riding around the same people because you're talent level and skill and performance kind of matched one another and that may not have been my teammates so you ended up linking up with people that you were spending hours a day with so you form those bonds and friendships over that period of time and that shared experience which is completely amazing yeah and it's again i think maybe one of the biggest the biggest perks to doing something like this and i should mention that i run this event not as a race it's more like just a kind of a group gathering, a rider. Some people like to race, they have time goals, and that's awesome. And some people just are doing it as a tour. But, you know, people can do anything they want on the route. You know, I've heard, I mean, I know there's some races around the world and stuff where you can't help someone else with, like, a tool or something like that. Yeah. But here it's like, do whatever you want. If you want, like, if you want your your partner to follow you around with a sag wagon, I'm like, go for it. It doesn't bother me at all. So it's really flexible that way. Nice. I was going to ask you that. Yeah, for sure. Because the other thing that you alluded to, which I think for me would be super important, is just the idea that there's other people out there on the route at the same time. So if I was camping or I felt alone at any one point, presumably I'm going to connect with others and just feel a little bit safer about pushing my personal boundaries as someone who's inexperienced staying out there for you know that period of time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you're if you're a first-time bikepacker and you're going out for a more challenging route such as this, and there's a bunch of other challenging routes, maybe the high country one in Arkansas, um, and just doing it out on your own, I think you might find it more challenging than if you actually joined one of like the set departures and you had to be able to draw on the energy and experience of, of some other riders that are doing it at the same time. Yeah, that's super cool. And it sounds like sort of anything goes as far as camping is it all wilderness such that you definitely have to be sleeping out or are there inns or towns that you go through with hotels that people stay in no you definitely could do it like credit card okay there's enough i mean you might have to push the pace a bit times just to get to a place you wanted to because camping obviously allows you a lot more freedom just to stop when you like to right and we and this route has a lot of places where you know kind of I guess they call it guerrilla camping. Yep. Take place, you know, leave no trace type of uh, type of practice. But uh, no, a lot of people do go out there and they just book their hotels and motels and B and Bs. And I've also there's also some um, for the camping more. I've set up just some locals along the route that have kind of opened their opened their properties, which adds an element to the community of the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think my my longest bike packing trip was five days, and in the middle we happened to hit a town, and it was just nice to spend a night in a bed and take a shower. Yeah, I'm not opposed to. <laughs> Man, you, if you've like been in a tent a long time, sometimes that bed could be the best sleep of your life. Yeah, 
Exactly. So then with with an event like this, obviously you, you've got a predefined loop that you're, you're hitting. When you complete the loop, is it just something that exists digitally or is there a shared experience at the end? No, I haven't been able to really, because it's so spread out when yeah. people finish. It's kind of... Um, one of the things, it, it could be a pretty lonely finish if you finish in the town in the middle of the night or something. Yeah. But it's just because people are coming from different places and um, it's pretty spread out. It's hard to hard to have that kind of, you know, the post um, kind of ride kind of gathering. Yeah. I try to have one at, at the start of it, but at the end, it's a little more challenging. I know some places, some events have a better ability to do that because um, it's more kind of people are kind of, finishing more closely together or or it's overseas and people you know aren't booked to leave until like a set date right so it's probably easier no but the overall construct of what you've put together here i think is a great model because you can you know you can put something out there you can build the roots you can entice the community but you don't have all that overhead of you know thinking you need to have a a follow car and a finish line party and all those logistical things that can be quite challenging. And, and frankly, in the age of COVID, some of those things might be entirely ill-advised. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I have it clearly on the website where like you are totally, there's no rules. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm just like the guy that can help you out, but there's no insurance. There's no, it's a total self powered adventure and you are kind of responsible for your own, well-being. And I think 99.9% of people understand that. And I know there's always going to be, you know, those concerns with liability and that, but I've never really, so far I haven't heard any problems in North America. So I try to maybe keep my head in the sand with that. But yeah, with COVID, it's a, it's such an adapting thing. For example, last year for the Grand Depart, I had to run it over the weekend instead of a set morning. Yep because there was a group gathering limit. So I couldn't have like 100 riders. Like I had 150 riders signed up last year, which was just insane. I was like way, I was like, I couldn't, like it was going to be awesome. But um, unfortunately I had to really kind of spread it a little more. And I might have to do that again this year because, you know, we're in, up here in Ontario, we're in a, you know, not the greatest situation, but I think things might improve enough to, to, uh, let me make it happen again. Have you got any indication as to numbers of riders that have expressed interest for this year's Grand Depart? Yeah, so far I have uh, more than 60 riders signed up. Right. So we'll have to see. Again, I have, just like last year, I do have a handful of riders from the U.S. that want to come up and do it. But uh, I'm not sure I have a lot of hope that that land border is going to be open again. Yeah. Uh, anytime, kind of soon. So which is a bummer for me because I really want to go down to the U.S. and do some riding as well. <laughs> yeah, well, that's amazing. So, I mean, we'll we'll have a link to get more information about the BT-700 for everybody who's listening around the world. As you know, you know, as events have gotten canceled more and more, my mind has shifted to, hey, could I create a route myself down the coast of California that would be a mixed terrain route that allowed people to see some of the great wilderness that exists between San Francisco and Los Angeles. And I'm kind of at a loss on how to get started. So I thought it would be great to talk to you and maybe we can use some narrative about your experiences creating roots in Colombia and Costa Rica to help sort of start my path towards creating that route. 
yeah, it's a big, <laughs> it's a big task. And you kind of, one of the things I always want to tell people is like, you have to decide, you know, what kind of root builder do you want to be? Um, like how detail oriented do you want to be hands on? I'm very hands on. And my, my partner always says you're way too hands on. Cause, um, like all, I'm always nitpicking for the roots and hyper, hyper vigilant about keeping on track of things where some people just put out a root and just kind of, kind of let it live there. Yeah. People can figure, figure out their own thing, you know. I have you seen know, that. If the root gets washed away by the ocean, then that's not my problem, and I'm not going <laughs> to... Yeah, yeah, I've, I, yeah. I did discover a root that was purportedly an SF to LA kind of dirt root, and I, I passed it around to friends in different parts of California, and all of a sudden, a lot of holes got poked into it, suggesting that there was a lot of private land and a lot of issues with the routing. So it sort of left me scratching my head for many of those same you know reasons you just brought up. Yeah, land issues in North America are probably one of the biggest headaches, and I have that as well. Where it's um, you know we don't really. I mean, it'd be so much easier if some of the countries that kind of have the right to roam, uh, Scotland being an example. Whereas in North America, you know, people are some. <laughs> we have a lot of places we'd like to go, probably, but uh, land issues and private property can get in the way there. So I think one of the biggest—you just mentioned that—one of the biggest benefits, or I would say, one of the things you want to rely on, is also local knowledge. So trying to get people who live in the areas and know an area probably maybe better than what you would know, and that's usually what I kind of use as a starting point. One of the challenges I've been seeing is it's difficult to gauge for me how much ground I can cover off-road in some of these sections. So I've ridden from San Francisco to Los Angeles on the pavement down Highway 1 on multiple occasions, and I have a good gauge of how far south I can get in any one day. The coastal region of California is very steep. So a lot of times, if you're taking a dirt detour one, you're you're now moving west to east and not making southerly progress. And two, you're adding a lot of climbing into the mix. So I'm trying to balance this notion of southerly progress, good sections of dirt, not minding an, in a, an absolute geographic detour on occasion, but still making it so that we can get south in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, and you make a good point. I don't I don't shy away from wandering on the routes I make because sometimes wandering is what gets you to some of the more interesting spots. So especially with bikepacking, it doesn't need to be A to B quickly. I mean, several years ago, I mean, I rode down the coast of um, the U.S. as well. And that's obviously, you know, you're going in a straight line (laughs) for the most part. Whereas like sounds like a route like this is um, it doesn't need to be a straight line because you're trying to take people you know, a little off the beaten path. And I think a lot of riders will understand that as long as you're, you know, you express that and you're honest with that. You say, listen, this isn't meant to be the fastest thing you're going to ever ride, but it's also meant to take you to places that I think are the most interesting. Yeah. And that's the thing I've been trying to think about it maybe in three, three day sections and bikepacking.com and a number of friends of mine have done a traverse of the San Francisco Peninsula, which is kind of the coastal range, you know, above Half Moon Bay, et cetera. So I think there's a, a good route through there. And then I'm imagining through Monterey 
and a bit of Carmel. There could be some Highway 1 riding, which is so beautiful as a road to ride on um, that I think that's okay to kind of spend some hours on the road. And then I'm a little bit less clear in the Big Sur area. And unfortunately, I just got word last week that the torrential rainstorms has actually destroyed a section of Highway 1 um, south of Big Sur. So I, it's sort of unknown what's even going to happen with that section. Um, and so that would be the middle section around Big Sur. And then the final section, kind of Santa Barbara to whatever part of Los Angeles it makes sense to end in. Yeah. And you mentioned the road part. I mean, if it's a beautiful road stretch and, you know, it's pretty, it's fairly safe. Um, and if that's more beautiful and nice than like just, you know, slogging through like dirt <laughs> on like, and it's a lot hotter in land or something, then I wouldn't like stress about something like that. It's about the total experience. And some people have these kind of like, well, it's got to be, it's got to be a hundred percent gravel, which is just, you know, just not true or dirt like that. And yeah. Yeah. I the only thing I will mention that please one thing that kind of drives us a bit crazy is when we see a route and it's one way and how does that impact? Like this sounds pretty awesome. This, for example, this might be something I would love to do, but I'm a tourist. I'm coming from far away and you've given me a one way route. So at least, you know, as a route builder, you could, you should probably toss the user a bone and say, okay, this is how you could get back to the start point. And here's the rub on that. Uh, California, the coastline, you've always got a wind that is blowing from the south, um, sorry, from the north to the south. Yeah, it's predominant wind, for sure. You never want to ride up the coast, right? <laughs> exactly. My, one of my trips down the coast on a road bike, we saw some people slogging away the other way to the north, and I just, oh, I felt so bad for them because it's just an incredible amount of effort. But it's it's a, absolutely a great point. I think for me, having a home in Northern California and family in Southern California. Like I haven't really been thinking too much about the return trip. But it could also be just telling people how using public like transportation. Yep. Yeah. Cause yeah. I've, I've looked on some routes on bikepacking.com. Um, I shouldn't call them out, but there was one, you know, it, um, it goes from the North of Vermont to the South, but the entire route description didn't even mention once how, how you would even get back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, so exactly. That, I, I've, yeah, yeah. I've, I've got a friend and I've sort of been tantalized by the trans NorCal route. And I've always sort of scratched my head of how the heck would I get up there and how would I get home? Yeah. Yeah. So try to think the route is not just for, you know, local Californians, right? Yeah. So we, we, we talked about the importance of collaborating with locals to get local knowledge and insights as to different trails and roads to be hitting. Are there tools like Ride with GPS or something that you've used in the past that allow people to easily collaborate? My struggle is often, you know, I might find a route or a section that I'll post up and I might get some input from someone, but in my you know, basic skills. I feel like I have to re- redraw the entire route rather than just kind of replacing a section. Okay, so you make a good point. I would, first of all, highly recommend using Ride with GPS because their route building tools are way better than, um, let's say, Strava's, yep. <laughs> to call it Strava. Yep. Um, they're okay for kind of, you know, looking at other people's rides and things, but I would never, like, I don't even, yeah, I would never build routes using... Agreed. Java. Yep. Because uh, ride with GPS, you can switch between maps, 
And you mentioned the editing, like the editing tools in Ride with GPS are so powerful. You can just make changes so easily. And like you could just switch a little bit of a route. Like, now, you know, you cut and paste something out. Now, if, if you've drawn something out in Ride with GPS and you have a local contact that you want to run it by, are you typically just getting the information from them and then you manually make the change and ride with GPS, assuming that they're not uh, someone who understands how to make that edit if you shared your credentials with them? Yes, correct. I'll do all the editing okay. in there because it's, it's just it's so quick with ride with GPS. And they have like a lot of online tools, like um, tutorials. And they also have, uh, it blows me blows my mind just how incredible their um, customer, customer support is. Like, yep. every question I've ever asked is answered within like a day or two. Yeah, I think it's an amazing resource. And I'm just, I've just scratched the tip of the iceberg with it. And I really look forward this year in terms of, um, you know, dedicating more time to it and, and understanding this, the tools better. Yeah. And one of the greatest tools is you can put all those points of interest. Yep. Which yeah. is, you, if you looked at my rap, my roots are like littered with them just because like it's so easy to do. <laughs> and I think that's absolutely an amazing resource for the community when someone goes and puts that effort in, whether it's here's where you can find water or here's a good place to pitch a tent. Here's a, you know, a market where you can get food, like the comfort level that provides the viewer of that route is immense. And it makes it more user friendly to people, maybe not that experienced with touring because I got all this information. And also with the Ride with GPS, you can use their um, mobile app and then you have that entire, all that information with you to take with you on the route. In a, in a route like this, which may be 700 miles, let's just say, would you recommend sort of working on it in sections independently of one another and then at the end kind of bring up a, a full map together? Um I probably, what I kind of do is just kind of quickly maybe map out the full thing. Okay. And then just kind of go back and start start trying to maybe um, add more details to a certain area. Just because sometimes like you have a whole picture of something at the start and that can kind of give you an idea to work with. Yeah, because I guess my thought was I've got a number of Bay Area people that I know can contribute to this first section and probably help me knock it out pretty quickly Whereas the Central California and Southern California sections, I'm, I'll be soliciting more support from, from community members to help me with that. Yeah, so maybe in that case, it might be better just to kind of have like start from a certain town to a next town. And if you're just looking for just that area and just have a, like make that its own kind of route for temporarily. And then is it, is it easy to kind of cut and paste routes from one map to another map in Ride with GPS? Yeah, you could combine routes fairly easily. Okay, which cool. is another amazing thing. I mean, that's just God. That's a, can I, like I'll do like if I went through a forest section that doesn't really have like uh, one of their maps doesn't really show it very well. Like I can go, I can go G, uh, GPS tag that route, like go ride it, upload that route, and then I can actually just import that little section and like connect that into my existing longer route. Right. So it's like perfect. It's like the GPS is perfect tracking. Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. I've seen I've seen demos of this from the Ride with GPS team and I was like that if I can really own and understand how to do that, that's exactly what I need to do. Yeah, cuz if you really want to like have people like really want to kill you at the end, 
have a root with a lot of like bad rooting in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, for me, it might be the type of thing where I can go out and ride the first presumably three days on an occasion um, and not having done the second and third sections at all. I think that's probably likely just given my ability and range to kind of go out and preview these things. Yeah, that's fine. And I always, I had to remember that you can't expect the route to be perfect from the start because it's going to evolve over the years. My routes always change for the better, I think. But, you know, the first year in 2019, the BT 700 looks quite a bit different than what it does in 2021. And I think, I don't think people mind that. It's part of the growth of a route. Yep. Yeah. I think, you know, not until the point where it's fully minted and people are thinking about FKTs and things like that, does it really make sense to, you know, keep the route as one firm idea? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because, you know, there's all, again, I mentioned there's land issues and maybe you found a new trail that's awesome. Um, So you don't want to stick in it. You don't want to be like, well, I can't add that because, you know, that's going to screw up someone's fastest known time from last year (laughs) but that's not fair to like all these other people are going to be riding the route like in the future yeah yeah exactly would you like to dig into either the costa rica route or the Colombia route i'm sort of fascinated how you were able to tackle creating something like that from your home yeah let's uh why don't we (laughs) take a deep dive into Colombia? cool because so Colombia, um i just uh, maybe I'll tell all your all your listeners if anyone's thinking of going somewhere, you know, maybe a little out of their comfort zone, you know, outside North America to do some, you know, dirt riding or bike packing. I I don't know how I could um, recommend Columbia more. It's it blew our minds, and we have traveled all around the world, and we were just like it just exceeded our expectations in pretty much every way. Uh, there's dirt roads, trails everywhere. Like, you, you know, Columbia is probably better known for their road cyclists. They have some of the best riders now in the world in the, um, the professional ranks. But the road riding there is not, is like a smaller percentage of the total amount of riding that you can do. There's actually a lot more dirt roads in the, in the, um, the mountains there. And you really only have choice to go into the mountains because the rest of the country is like the Amazon and you can't really <laughs> there's no real good riding in the amazon so right kind of going in one area but and also it's um it's i'm going to tell you if you go and avoid certain areas but as long as you stick to um where you should be it's actually a lot safer than people probably think um they're really trying to move on past their you know unruly times right so you and, you started in in bogota colombia is that correct yeah Okay. And uh and it's a, it's it's really cheap. It's crazy. Like we didn't even bring camping gear. And we probably feeding ourselves a lot of food, good food and staying under roof accommodation. Uh I can't ex- remember exactly, but I don't think we broke 20 20 dollars a day. <laughs> it's <just> outstanding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just it's crazy. So um yeah, and I mean you need to um Definitely like to climb because the route that we came up with is, uh, I think, 140, uh, 1,400 kilometers, which um, I'm not positive how many miles that is, but uh, it was 115,000 feet of climbing. Right. So, up, vertical. Up, up, up. Yeah. 
But this was a really good, um, you know, to focus on what we're talking about root building. This is a great, another great activity of root building because it really forced me to kind of, you know, tap into some people in Colombia when I could, you know, through internet searches, um, really use all of the maps that are on Ride with GPS to help find stuff. And I was actually surprised so many of those <laughs> little dirt roads where uh, you could use the Google stri- the Street View. That's crazy. Yeah, I couldn't believe the number of rides that had Google <laughs> Street View. I was like, this little road in the mountain Street View, and it looks awesome. So I was like, okay, that, you know, that totally looks doable. And when you were building the route, did you have a specific amount of time in your mind that you and your partner could, could be traveling for? And did that dictate, yeah, we, did that dictate I mean, the length in some way? Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, we had uh, six weeks because we knew that was when our flight was. So we try to be realistic with um, the distances because we don't go that fast. We're we're kind of slow tourists. We yeah. stop a lot to take pictures, and um, and we knew from the start there's like altitude in Bogota. We're coming from sea level, so we knew we weren't going to like do 100 kilometers, like 100 miles right from the start, right? <laughs> and like that. So we 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 were very conservative in our distance. And we also like to um, stay in a place a couple of days and do some just like uh, day trips. You know, right. It's really nice to be able to leave the bags and just be able to go touring, like just around an area. Yeah, that makes sense. I was going to say, I'll put a link to some of your imagery and um, the routes that you put on the, the BT700 backpacking website. Yeah, that would be great. And I was just going to say, some people, I think one of the biggest mistakes is they uh, overextend themselves. Know, try to do too much, and I, I also see that with the BT seven hundred route. They're like they try to do more than probably what is advisable, and then that can really kind of ruin a trip and add an extra layer of stress. Yeah, I think that's a big thing for those of us who mostly ride without bike, uh, without bags on the bike, to kind of translate in our mind. Well, okay, if I put it, you know, if I had all day and it was a huge day, yeah, I could ride a hundred miles, but add 30 pounds of bags or whatever it adds up to it's a totally different equation and thinking again about you want to be getting up the next day and the next day and the next day and keeping your bike and body healthy like you definitely have to ratchet it back when you're going after these type of experiences yeah and also also add that another layer to that is if you're traveling to a different country do you want to actually experience more of the culture and the environment yeah because you may never go back there like i could go around and do the bt 700 as fast as I wanted because I mean I can leave right from my front door anytime yeah but I don't we may not go back to Colombia <laughs> so why not like stop and enjoy the cafes and the people and the, and you know stop and watch all the incredible bird life that they have there um, so some people need to remember that as well like what you're actually trying to get out of out of a route and a destination yeah absolutely well it's been both inspirational and informative this conversation for me and i hope it has been for the listener as well is there any other takeaways that you'd want to put out there about how to how to create roots or you know any of your other experiences that you wanted to share before we go i think everyone who bike packs maybe or after a while should actually maybe try creating creating their own route at some point because i think that adds to an appreciation of how that's done and um, I think you may have noticed. I always like to say, like a lot of a lot of the press gets of like the ultra racers get a lot of the press. But sometimes I think the true marathoners are the ones who develop the routes because 
um, it takes a like if you're really passionate about it, it can take a, a, a major amount of work and also the uptake uptake with that. So um, I think it's a great you know education for people to just try this and see how how that goes and and um, and you can then appreciate what goes into other routes. Yeah, I agree. It's such a valuable resource. I was speaking to some people this morning about this. And when you put something out there, and particularly if you add, uh, you know, annotations to it that say where things are, what the experience looks like, it is just so valuable for other cyclists who have that spirit of adventure to be able to drop into a country and have a route that maybe they've gotten from a friend or from the internet and to be able to go out there and have an adventure and do it safely. I think these things are so powerful and so critically important for the off-road cyclists. Cause I find, you know, road riding, it was a lot easier to kind of figure things out. It's, it's, you know, save the cars running you over. It's kind of, it's safe. It's well mapped, but a lot of the off-road experiences, it can be so varied the type of dirt, the terrain, the traction that come into play. So having local knowledge and have people who are going out there to pioneer these things is just so amazing. Yeah, and I think a lot of bikepackers are pretty understandable when things don't go right or there's reroutes that are needed because as a route developer, there's only so much you can control. And I think with bikepacking, there's inevitably more unknown than maybe with just, if I plotted a route down the, you know, down the west coast of the U.S., you know, it's pretty pretty predictable but there's just so much more kind of things that can go you know could kind of go haywire when you're really trying to take people into the back country yeah absolutely I, I don't know i was always worried about that but i've never had any like you know hate mail they're like oh you know i couldn't um for example uh, i'll just do a quick example i just found out there's a major closure on the route that we developed in costa rica and it's you know, a couple of people have come across it and they've had to do a major like backtrack, but yeah. they didn't blame me for that. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I can't really, you can't really control that. So, um, yeah, I would always remind people to try to like go in with an open mind. If, you know, somebody's tried as hard as possible to give you a good experience and a good route, but you can't expect it to be 100%. Yeah, that's a good point. Flawless. <laughs> exactly. Life and nature are fluid and always changing. <laughs> Part of the adventure. Exactly. Well, Matt, thank you so much for all the time. I really appreciated it and enjoyed the conversation. Oh, that was great. Thanks for um, having me on and spreading the, the good gospel of uh, root building. <laughs> Big thanks to Matt for joining the conversation this week. I hope you learned as much as I did during the conversation. I really love the format of these bikepacking events, as Matt was describing with the BT700. And I have to say, definitely visit some of the links in the show notes to see some pictures and the narrative of his adventures in Colombia and Costa Rica. There, He really did a great job of documenting the trip and providing a ton of inspiration for would-be bikepackers to visit those two great countries. I don't know about you, but I remain stoked to try to figure out some bikepacking trips for myself and figure out all these great route planning tools like Ride With GPS. We've recently started using Ride With GPS for the ridership community. So any of our members that join our club over on Ride With GPS will get some enhanced features for free. So yet another benefit of joining the ridership. Speaking of the ridership, 
If you have any feedback for this week's episode, please hit us up there. www.theridership.com is where you can enter the community. We've got a bike packing channel, which I'm sure will be rife with comments about this particular interview. And I look forward to hearing from you. So until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. Thank you.